The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. They're hanging and their lungs kind of don't have a place for air, so in order to speak, they have to lift themselves and take a breath, and of course, they're standing on what? A spike driven through their ankles. So anytime Jesus spoke, uh, he would have had to lift himself up uh, through those spikes and, and speak and also to breathe. So we, we don't uh, think sometimes much about the fact of the, the effort it took just to speak. And seven times Jesus had words for us. And here in Luke chapter 23, down in verse 32 is where we're going to be today. So Luke 23, 32 uh, we're just gonna. We're not gonna read the whole event of the crucifixion, and we started in this last week. So, verse thirty-two says, two, in, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, or they came to a place called the Skull. They were there. They crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing." And they divided up his clothing and, cl- and cast lots. Uh, jump down to verse uh, 39 now, if you would. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you Christ? Then save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God? He said, Since you're under the same sentence and we're punished justly for what we're getting, and what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, the criminal, remember, Jesus, remember me when he come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Now, as we think about this, uh, we think about eternal life, and that's what I think about when we think about the cross. And uh, I want us to think this morning, really, what is eternal life? And what are we talking about? How do we receive it? And, and here's the good question. Why does one criminal get it and one doesn't? I mean, this is a last-minute uh, conversion. And, and think about the criminals on each side of Jesus, if you would. They're different Bible verses. Describe them differently. One describes them as uh, different Bible versions. One is thieves, one is malefactors, some is evildoers, others is lawbreakers. But uh, the reason there's so many different translations is, uh, as I've said many times, the Greek uh, Greek words had a lot of different meanings, and a lot of times our English words really don't describe the the, the impact or the power of the Greek. So. Uh, that's why we get different translations, but the same word that John used uh, in the gospel about Barabbas implies that, that criminal element of a person. In other words, as Jesus is describing, uh, as uh, we're getting the description in Luke here of these criminals, they were kind of career criminals, so to speak. In other words, they were, they were strike three guys. I mean, they had, they had probably lived a life of criminal activity. They had probably been arrested many times. They had probably been given many opportunities. And, and these two criminals actually are fulfilling a prophecy. If you think about uh, the Bible and, and how it fits together, 700 years before this crucifixion, 
This was prophesied in Isaiah 53:12 when it was prophesied that the Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors. And then also Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 22, verse 37, just a chapter before, he brings up that passage of Scripture. And as he does that, he says, I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Anyone that would doubt uh, Christ, the, 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 the truth of the Bible, Christ, if you can uh, take some words that really scientifically have been proved 700 years before, accuracy written in the Old Testament, and then see that so many years later those prophecies are being fulfilled. That's just an affirmation that we know what really happened, and this Christ was the true Messiah. So these criminals, they're, they're there by God's design, <coughs> and they highlight the... The, the disgrace of Jesus' death. I mean, to think about these criminals, these career criminals. Uh, Jesus was treated as a, as a common criminal during these, these times. And, and I want you to look at the contrast between these two. I'm talking about the criminals now. We have, we have one, uh, the difference between pride and humility, the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between eternal life and eternal damnation. That, as we look at these criminals, uh, we may we may think about the difference in those two men, even though they were both criminals, and and they're they're exactly alike. They're troublemakers, they're lawbreakers, they're guilty as charged. But when you look even closer, you realize that there's a there's a difference. And and as we look at these differences, one criminal scoffs and one believes. One one criminal dies lost and one dies to live forever. And the Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 1.18, listen to this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Isn't that a profound scripture? Look at the news today and look at the world, what the world says about Christianity. Look at what people say about, you know, I, I've heard us called, this is within the last few min, uh, months, I've heard us called lunatics. I've, I've heard us called folks that are really out of their mind to believe that, that there was a man that came that died on the cross that was resurrected. Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. To those who are dying in their sin, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to them. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. All the way back on the cross, you can see that the message of the cross to one criminal was foolishness as he was perishing. But the message of the cross to one who was being saved, it was the very power of God. And maybe Paul had those criminals in mind as he wrote that verse. And today I want to use the conversation between this repentant criminal and Jesus to illustrate a couple of things. First off, how we come to uh, eternal life. And second, what we know about eternal life. And uh, this may give you some assurance for those who have gone on ahead. We talked about that a little bit earlier in our prayer, as well as when your time comes to die and when your time comes uh, to face that death. You know, a lot of people, and, and I guess probably most people, fear death. And if you're a child of God, if, you've, if you're one that, that being saved is the power of God, there's nothing to fear in death. 
So I want us to see that this morning. First, let's look at, at the, the first part of that, how one comes to eternal life. You may say, well, I know this. I'm a Christian and I've heard this before. Well, if you know this and you're a Christian, that's great. So this morning, take this and, and use this as a tool to, to help motivate you and to help spread the gospel to others. So, so here's the first step as we think about how we enter in what Jesus calls paradise, and we're going to talk a little more about that in a, in a few minutes, but here's the first thing. Admit your own sinfulness. Now, we're looking at verse 39 through 41. Both men started out mocking Jesus, didn't they? When we read this account, both of them are mocking Jesus from the very beginning. If you're really Christ, save yourself. And hey, by the way, while you're saving yourself, go ahead and save us too. So both men are, are, are mocking the Lord, but one saw something that changed him. Now this morning, I don't want you to answer this, but if I said one criminal saw something that changed him, what did that sinner see? And I think for most of us, our first answer would be this, well, he saw Christ. He saw Jesus. But that's really not what he saw first as that first criminal, according to Scripture, he saw his sin. In verse 39 through 41, listen to what he says. He says, we indeed justly are crucified. You see, as this criminal thought about this, he realized that that his sin is what brought him to this condemnation. He didn't look at Jesus and say, well, that's the Savior. He looked at himself and said, you know what? We're justly getting what we deserve. I, I'm a sinner. I, I've, I've lived a, a life of crime. And, and I, I, we indeed justly are getting our rewards for what we live. And, and today, I think a lot of people, we want to blame everyone else for our sins. I, I tell you all, a lot of times we don't watch it because it don't come on much anymore. We watched Lock Up for, for a long time. It'd come on about the time we'd go to bed and we'd turn it on and watch a, 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 an hour of it. And, and so many of those criminals, they always had someone to blame. I mean, it was always, a, they're a product of their environment, they're a product of how they were raised, they're a product of, of their circumstances, their background, it was uh, their father left, their mother left, they were raised by someone else, all of those things. And those may be legitimate things, but we have to realize, even if those are legitimate things, we have to rise up. We, they, they and we still make our own decisions. Regardless of our circumstances, our environment, our background, we still make our own decision. The Bible says we're drawn away by our very own lust. I mean, we make those choices. We, we, we blow up. We have our, our own face-to-face accounts of what, what's taking place. And instead of looking for someone to blame, this criminal looked at himself. And he, as he looked at himself, he said, we indeed justly (coughs) are getting what we deserve. So uh, unless you see your sin, you cannot be saved. Did you hear that? Unless we see our sin, we cannot be saved. Now let me give you some common words of lost church members. Or even maybe common words of lost people. Here are some common words. Either I'm, or he's, or she, they're basically a good person. Oh, I I help my neighbor. I help others. Here's a common word of a lost person. You know, I'm not that bad. Here's some common words. Well, you know, the man upstairs knows me. There's a song, and I, I don't like it at all. It's a country western song. 
And I don't remember much about it other than this. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Well, no, you and Jesus don't have your own thing going. There's, there's one way to heaven. And I don't know the, the, the whole words behind all the song. Maybe I'm missing out on what he's saying. But, but those are common words, you know. Well, I know the man upstairs. Or I believe in God. Well, the demons believe and they shudder. So, so those common words, until we see ourselves as lost, as wicked, as hopeless, as helpless, then we're not going to be saved. The, the, the thief said, we indeed justly, we receive our due rewards of our deeds. So what changed his mind? What, what made him stop mocking Christ? What, what, what a change of attitude? Why repent? Why, why the one that previously mocked? Because he saw his sins and, and he realized that he was getting his due reward. But not only that, he saw his situation. I, I would imagine most of us probably, and, and especially the lost world, would, wouldn't have a problem saying, well, yeah, I, I sin. I know I sin. I, I have some sin. But, but a lot of times they miss their situation. And in Matthew and Mark, both, both record that criminals, they both ridicule Jesus. That let, only Luke captures really the heart of that one. And, and perhaps as he watched Jesus' prayer that we talked about last week, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Listen again to verses 40 and 41. But, but the other criminals, they rebuked him. The other criminal rebuked him. Do you, don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. Now what's the sentence? It was death. Don't you fear God? We're under the same sentence, the sentence of death. But we're punished justly for what, and we're getting for what our deeds deserve. So, so to gain eternal life, we have to first die to pride. Now, I want you to think about this. Give this some thought. Nearly all sin comes from pride, doesn't it? I just want you to think about that this, this moment. Nearly all sin comes from pride. If you can think of about any sin, a lot of it has to do with pride. And, and, and pride, we need to be able to, to pass that pride. I want, or, or maybe self-indulgence would be another word you, to use there. But, but his situation with this, the criminal said, you know what? I'm under a sentence of death. The Bible tells us this, each man will die. I mean, we need to realize that. I don't want to be gloom and doom today, but the the truth of the situation is we're all going to die one day. And if we see ourselves as sinners, we need to see the situation we're in. We're in the situation of of we're going to die. And that criminal understood that when he said, man, don't you understand? We're sinners just like he is. We're headed for death. Not only did he see his sin, he saw his situation that he was in. It reminds me of some times when, when I've been lost, and that may have been one time in my life, you know, I don't ever get lost. And that's the way we are sometimes, and we're trying to find a, a vacation spot or a, a destination somewhere, and, and maybe we get turned around somewhere, and our, our navigator, GPS, whatever you want to call her, and, and, and uh, she's directing us one way, or you go get an old folded map, that's how we used to do, and you search out those roads, and, uh, and uh, occasionally there's a, there's a fold right there in that road you need, and you end up lost. A lot of times we drive around and drive around, and we oh, I know where I'm at, oh, I see where I'm at, and I know I'm finally... We admit we're lost. I mean, we, we finally admit we're, we're lost and, and we're going to have to get some help. I mean, we, we see that we're lost. We see our situation and, and we say, all right, we gotta, we gotta get some help. 
I told you all this story one time when Denise and I were dating. We went to Six Flags, and, and I left there, and, man, I was driving and driving and driving. We were supposed to be home. I think we got to stay out extra late that night to, like, 1230 or 1, and, and finally I had to call her dad. You know what? I didn't get my cell phone out. What did I have to do? This was 34 years ago. Matter of fact, our anniversary was last Friday, 34 years. We still love each other. Isn't that great? The, the, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, I called her dad from a pay phone, and I said, man, we're lost. You know, I'm not parking with your daughter. We're lost. And, uh, and uh, he gave us some directions. He said, where are you at? And I said, I really don't know. He said, give me some street road signs and some street names. And I began to give them to him. And he said, okay, I know exactly where you're at. I don't work far from there. He worked in Dallas and uh, that area. And he said, you need to do this and you need to do that. And he got us back on the right road. So we see our sin first, then we see our situation, and we realize that we, we need some help, and we, we need some direction in life. And, and there were, this is where it comes to how we get that. We, we admit first. We admit our, our sinfulness. We admit our situation. And then we believe in, in the sinless Jesus. That's that second step. And, and now that we understand our, our own sinfulness, we, don't under, we need to understand Jesus' sinlessness. To realize that he was, he was sinless. He was numbered among the transgressors, but he did nothing wrong. Even, even in prison, nearly every prisoner says, you know what, I'm really innocent. We hear that in their show we watch. You know, so many of them would come in there and they'd interview them and say, well, you know, I'm really innocent. I was wrongly accused. I, I was at the, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but, but Jesus really was. He was really innocent. In verse 41, it says, the the thief on the cross says this, he's done nothing wrong. Isn't it amazing that the thief, the career criminal, looked at Christ and said, you know what? He's done nothing wrong to deserve this. Not only that, over in Hebrews chapter 4.15, it declares the same thing about our high priest, which is Christ. It says, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. In Jesus' sinless, that makes a, the perfect sacrifice. You realize if Jesus is sinned, he couldn't be our sacrifice. He couldn't be our atoning sacrifice. And, and we need to believe that. And, and we believe that through faith. And we believe that, that we're sinners. We're in a hopeless situation. We need someone to help and give us directions. And we realize that, that Jesus in his sinlessness came to earth. He shed his blood for us. We're covered with his blood. And, and he becomes our payment for sin, our atoning sacrifice, the payment for sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. And then the last thing is this, confess. Really commit your life to Christ. When Vacation Bible School, we, we call it the ABCs, you know, admit, believe, and confess. Admit, believe, and confess. The ABCs of becoming a Christian. And, and we see all of these things in the, in the thief's life. We see that he admitted, hey, I'm a sinner and I, uh, I, I deserve what I'm getting and, I, and my situation is hopeless. So he admitted those things. Then he believed in Christ's sinfulness, sinful, sinlessness. He said, you know, he's done nothing wrong. He, he's paying our price for our sin. And, and then he, he came to Jesus and he confessed to Jesus. In verse 42, we find that. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen to this statement as J.C. Riley, he's a pastor, he put it this way. 
Now, I want you to hear this. One, one thief on the cross was saved that none should despair, but only one that none should presume. Do you hear that? Did you catch the message in that? One thief on the cross was saved that none should despair. We've not gone beyond that point of hope. We've not stepped beyond the the, the area of unforgiveness. God is willing and, and He wants to forgive us. We've not gone beyond that point, so none should despair. But only one was saved that none should presume. You never hear anyone at the, at the deathbed of someone saying, you know, this guy lived a terrible life. He, we always say, well, he's, he's looking down on us. What's that? That's presuming, isn't it? And I've said many times our default location is not heaven. Because we're born with a sinful nature and, and we've not crossed that point that we should despair, but we shouldn't presume. We need to take care of that as a thief did. Remember me when you come into your kingdom as he spoke of Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus didn't look much like a king, did he? He looked more like a thief. He's hanging on the cross. He's, he's there. He's, uh, he's being crucified. And this thief recognized him as a king, as entering to his kingdom. On the outside, he was just another lawbreaker. Yet this criminal saw through all of that, even more so than his disciples Think about that. What his disciples do? They ran from him. They hid from him. They didn't understand. One of them said, Lord, I want to set by you in your kingdom. They thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom and, and they wanted to be number one and number two, his right hand, his left hand man. They didn't recognize, but this, this criminal recognized that. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want you to notice some things he did not do to be saved. He didn't get baptized to be saved, did he? You know, some people say, well, that was a special circumstance. If God makes a special circumstance for one, He has to make a special circumstance for everybody, doesn't He? I mean, don't let some lie tell you that, well, that was just a special circumstance. Because Jesus is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. He never changes. God never changes. So we need to recognize that, that, that he, did, he, he wasn't baptized to be saved. He didn't speak in tongues to be saved. He didn't go to some confirmation or new members class to be saved. He didn't join the church to be saved. He didn't take communion to be saved. He didn't tithe to be saved. He didn't go to Sunday school to be saved. He didn't even go to church. He didn't get involved in any kind of ministry to be saved. All of those things, you know what he did? He did nothing to be saved. He did nothing but say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner and, and I realize you're dying for my sin and Lord, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now listen to this, and this is where we're getting ready to close in just a moment. Look at Jesus' response. When we come before the Savior, even today, and we say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need a Savior and and, and, and I, I pray that your blood would cover me. I want you to save me. I want you to come into my heart. Here's Jesus' response. Today, you will be with me in, paragra- in paradise. You know, this guy was going to die on the very same day. The very same way, on a, on a similar cross. But on that day, he would be with Jesus in his glory. And, and I want us to think about those things 
This is what Paul wrote. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, there's no, there's no fall asleep and a, and a, a delay in there. There's no uh, spiritual sleep or no soul sleep. There's no place that we go to a holding area and we, we wait to get moved to heaven. There's no place that, that some people call paradise that you go to and, and as you pray, you can pray those people out of paradise into heaven. The, the Bible never speaks of any of those things. The Bible speaks of this, Jesus Christ saying, today you will be with me in paradise. When we take our last breath on this earth as Christians, our next breath will be in heaven with Lord. And He wanted us to understand and He wanted this thief to understand that. So the first thing, it's immediate. When we're born again and when we die, it's immediate. Today you'll be with me in paradise. One father explained it this way to his child. He said, you know, when we go on a long trip and and we're driving home and it becomes late and you fall asleep and we get home and I take you up in my arms and I go and place you in your bed and and, uh, you wake up the next morning, you're home. You know, you're, you're traveling one time and, and here we are traveling in this earth and, and we fall asleep and then when we open our eyes, when we wake up, we're home. And that's what Christ wants us to understand. If you have loved ones that's gone on before, you need to realize as they took their last breath on this earth, Christ took them and as they woke up, they woke up in the presence of God. They woke up in their home. The second thing is, it's an intimate place. Christ said this, today you will be with me. You'll be with me. That, that heaven is a very intimate setting because uh, the lover of our soul, the one who died for us, the one who was crucified for us, that very day that we die, we're going to be in His presence with Him. We talk about this. There's going to be no flu, blood, flu, flu bug to get anybody and no sickness. And uh, there's not going to be any hospitals. There's not going to be any insurance companies. Isn't that going to be great? I mean, we're not going to have to pray, pay those premiums. There's not going to be traffic jams or gossip or cockroaches or mosquitoes. I don't know if there's cockroaches or mosquitoes or not. No country music. Okay, there, that may be a little bit liberal there, but, you know, we don't know. The plus side is this. There's going to be, you know, we sang a song when I was a youth minister, and, and it said, come and go with me to my father's house because it's a big, big house with lots of rooms. Now, the, the problem with that is, is we realize that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, so we're not going to be living in a mansion as a whole folks of, of, of uh, God's children. I mean, we're not going to be in one place, but, but the idea was come and go with me that place because it's a, it's a big house with lots of rooms and it's a big, there's a big table with lots and lots of food. Isn't that great? We need to realize that as heaven's, de- as heaven's described, it's a place where we'll have physical bodies and, and the Lord says there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be, we're going to eat, we're going to enjoy the favor of one another, we're going to, we're going to have fellowship together, we're going to have fellowship with the Father. That's, that's how heaven is described, an intimate place, a, a place where we'll be together, a place where we'll have tasks, we'll have jobs, we'll have work, just like in the Garden of Eden. And why do I know that? Because here's the last thing. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now that word paradise is a, it was a Persian word, word that, that Jesus described heaven. 
But here's the great thing. This is the super cool thing about this. In the Greek, that same word was used to describe the Garden of Eden. So see what this this criminal would have heard. See what we hear today. Today you'll be with me back in that place like I created, that Garden of Eden. That perfect place where there's no litter, there's no climate change, there's no hurricanes, there's no school shootings. Uh, people are going to get along with people and, and there, there's going to be animals are going to get along with animals. There's not going to be any thorns, any thistles, any briars. There's not going to be sweat from our brow because of our labor. Oh, we're going to be working We're going to have jobs. We're going to go. There's going to be farmers. There's going to be builders. There's going to be people working. But you know what? It's going to be something we love to do. We're not going to have to spray for beetles and bugs and all those things. You know why? Because it's going to be how God intended for it to be. And as he looked at the thief, he said, Today you're going to be with me back like that original creation, that Garden of Eden, that place that we would call paradise. Now here's something I want you to think about as we really do close this morning is this. The last person that was our Lord's companion on earth, who was it? It was a thief, wasn't it? That was the very last person that was his companion. Now there was some some ladies there at the cross. There were some people gathered around. His disciples had left him. They were scared. They, had, they were hidden. But Christ's very last companion on earth. Who was his first companion in heaven? Now, I'm not saying he was the first one there, but who was there when, when Christ died and when he awoke? There was the thief. Isn't that amazing? You ever thought about that? I mean, the last person he spoke with, not the last person he spoke with, but the last person he sees as a companion on earth, the first person he sees as a companion in heaven is that thief on the cross. We sang a song a while ago. It's number 142 in your hymnal. And this is what it says. This song makes a whole lot of difference when you hear this verse. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain on that day. Don't you know he did? That dying thief, he rejoiced to see the fountain on that day. And there have I, as though as vile as he, have washed all my sins away. Father, Lord, I pray this morning... As we think about that thief on the cross and how he must have rejoiced to see that fountain on that day. That fountain that was filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Emmanuel, God with us. That fountain filled with God's very own blood. That he would be our atoning sacrifice. That he would be our hope that He would be our covering for sin. How that thief rejoiced to see that fountain. And Father, I pray today that we would find yet as vile as He, we would realize that that fountain washes all our sins away. Father, I thank You for the hope we have in the cross. I thank you for the words we have from you as you encourage us as we remember, Father, that the resurrection, the death, the shedding of the blood, the burial and the resurrection represents our life, represents our hope, and represents what you've offered us in eternity. Lord, I pray today now as we have a time of invitation, Lord, I pray that 
your spirit would move among your people. I pray, Lord, if there'd be one here today that would say, you know, I want that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. I, I want that hope that the thief had. I want to know that, that my last breath on this earth, my next breath will be in the presence of the Lord and Savior in that perfect place that God's prepared for us. Knowing that there's even greater rewards when He comes again in a new heaven and a new earth. But, Father, that we know to be absent from this body, to be present with you. And we make those preparations here today. Lord, I pray again your spirit would move. I pray that we'd respond to your wooing and your calling today. And I pray this in Jesus' name.